approaching writing, there's no one true way that you should be your own experimenter. Just find out what works for you. And you're responsible for yourself. And it's been interesting over the years. People will contact me and say, I want to come and take a workshop. I don't do workshops. Well, where can I go? Because I want to get do it the right way. There is no right way. Mm. Well, what should I do? Figure it out. You know, you're responsible for your the problems that you've you've got. Responsible in the sense that you're the one that's dealing with them. Sit down and see what works. Welcome back to the Lucas Grobot Show. I'm Lucas Grobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, relentlessly pursue truth, and own the future. Today, we are joined by. Dr. James Pennebaker. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Pennebaker. Please go back and listen to part one where we we talk about a lot of fascinating things that talk about what people do when they lie, talk about where um, our, our language is centered in our brain and how so much of our language is actually subconscious. We can't control it. We don't know that it's happening, but it's really these, these tells and this showing forth of what's going on within our world. And so, Dr. Pennebaker, thank you so much for being here on the show. It's good to be here. So, we, we at the end of the last episode, we were talking about uh, COVID and all the effects that it has been having, about how um, anxiety has shot up, um, anger words have kind of came down, um, people are isolated from from society, they're isolated from their friends, they're they're isolated from their state and their country, but they're close knit to their family, um, which causes, uh, you know, a really interesting, uh, it, it lays the land in a very interesting way for, for things that we have seen happen in America and things that are happening across the globe. But I, I wanted to, to talk about your, your other book a little bit, opening up by writing down and, and you talk about, and you refer to this in, cause you've also, you've also wrote your book, uh, writing to heal. So you've been, you've been talking for a while now for years about how through our words we can access and we can find healing. And even in your book, the secret life of pronouns, you mentioned that you, you told this story that struck me, um, so strong was that people thought that right away after a traumatic experience, if you write about it in depth, that you would have positive results, but actually it had the negative results, um, which is kind of a frightening thing. So my question is, and I think for the audience, what can we do to healthily process our traumatic or painful experiences in our life? So think about an upsetting experience that you've had. We've all had experiences. They don't need to be traumatic. We've all had some really painful ones. Mm. Uh, Immediately afterwards, what a lot of people do is that they do things to distract themselves. That happened with me. I had a, a terrible experience at uh, a job I had many years ago. And I remember going home and spending days playing Pac-Man on my computer. I got to be damn good at Pac-Man, I might say. And I always thought that period was actually really healthy because the experience was one that that shook me so much that by playing pac-man it allowed me to just kind of process it at kind of a low level there have been studies showing that uh, people whose spouses for example 
have been listed as missing in action in war. Uh, they often will pay bills and start to obsessively clean their house, or that that happens sometimes when they're going through a divorce or something like that. And I think in the short run, distancing yourself is actually healthy. And if you see somebody doing that who's who in the last three or four days something terrible has happened, it's not that they're crazy. It's not that they're denying it, but they are trying to deal with these overwhelming emotions. In other words, mm. immediately afterwards, you don't need to process it. You don't need to write about it. You don't need to get in touch with your emotions. Your emotions, I guarantee you, are getting in touch with you. Writing is more interesting because it's. I think it's relevant when we get a little bit further. So, for example, if something bad has happened to me, and I can't talk to other people about it for whatever reason, and now it's a month later or two months or three months later, and I find that I'm sleeping less, I'm dreaming about it, I'm thinking about it all the time, I'm avoiding people, this is the time where writing can be really beneficial. Think yeah. about how a healthy person deals with an upsetting experience. I've had a I've had a terrible let's say I've had a terrible experience. Someone very close to me has just died unexpectedly. It's devastating. It's changed my daily life and so forth. And in the days afterwards, my friends come and we all sit around and we talk about memories and so forth. And um, two weeks later, you know, I still want to talk about it. But I noticed my friends don't want to talk about it. And they, and I see that people now are start, starting to avoid me because they know I'm a bummer to be around because, you know, I've dealt with this terrible experience. And, I, you know, this has happened to me where I'm walking and I see somebody in the distance and I see them jump out of the way so they don't have to say hello to me. And mm -hmm. I thought it really isn't personal. It's just they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to, how to talk to me. I'm not able to, one reason talking about upsetting experiences is often beneficial is it helps us to work through it, to understand it. And think about, we've all had these major upheavals in our lives, and a major upheaval touches every part of our life. It's a, if it's a sudden death of someone we know, we've lost our job, we've, uh, uh, you know, something else has happened. What we often will do is we'll be walking down the street and we'll think about this part of it. We'll go, ooh, I wish I had said this, or ooh, ooh. And you just think of one part of it. But you never, never stop and try to bring it all together. But what if you just sat down and said to yourself, okay, I'm just going to write about this for the next 30 minutes. And you do. Well, what you find is very often you start tying things together. So, this happened, oh, and now you see this is related to this other thing that happened. And oh, so this is why I've been acting so oddly. The fact is, once you sit down and you write, you start to organize it. You put some structure to it. You bring in all these other parts of the event that you don't do when you're walking down the street. Mm. And that is essentially what... I stumbled across and how I happened to get into this was early in my marriage, uh, we went through, you know, some big upheavals. You know, if you've been married a long time, if you haven't been through a big upheaval, either you're in terrible denial or you have a, a, a disturbingly good relationship. Yeah. 
But uh, we were going through a very difficult time. And um, I remember going and I, I had done this before, going into uh, another room and just sitting down and writing and writing for, for you know, I, I don't even remember. It seemed like an hour. And as I did it, it was all of a sudden the sun came out. I realized, oh, so this is what's going on. And it put things together in a way that I never thought about. And it completely changed the conversation my wife and I were having. I had a better understanding of what her concerns were and my concerns. But it was it had a profound effect on me. And then years later, I had discovered that people who had had traumatic experiences and had not talked to other people about them got sick at higher rates and all of a sudden I wondered I wonder if we had people just come in the laboratory and write for just a brief amount of time let's say 15 minutes a day for four consecutive days would it change their physical health and it did so in our earliest study wait wait right there like that is I mean, that is profound. My, my first question is, and I don't know if, if anyone has an answer, if you have an answer, but the thought that the fact that we're holding on to a, a secret or even just holding on to an upheaval, uh, a traumatic experience that we haven't shared with someone else in our life would affect our physical health. Like how, how, how is like what's going on in the fact that I'm holding on to a memory that I haven't processed yet, and it's making me physically sick. Help me understand that. So I could, you know, having been in this world for years, I could give you hundreds of examples. Uh, and here would be here would be uh, one. Um, this is a one of my earliest cases. When you do this work, the first stories you hear are the ones that stick with you forever. This was a a, a a girl at the time. She was probably 13 or 14. Her mother had divorced when she was about two or three. She uh, The mother then remarried when she was about 13. She'd never seen her mother as happy. About 14, one night, uh, she wakes up and the, her new stepfather comes staggering in, who's drunk, and bends over and starts to um, molest her. And she's horrified. She doesn't know what to do. And then he leaves. And she's thinking, what do I do? I can't tell my mother because if my mother found out, it would break her heart. And I can't do that to her. And then at school the next day, she can't tell her friend because her friends would never understand this. And so she has this big secret. And he continues to do this over the next year. And she talked about, you know, sitting downstairs at breakfast in the morning, and he'd come in with a big fake grin and as though nothing in the world was wrong. And just that feeling of rage and the fact that she couldn't tell anybody. And she yeah. got psychologically further from her mother. And... Uh, she eventually ended up running away and uh, living with a guy. She was now 16 and she got married at 18, had a child at that time. Wow. And, but what was so interesting about this is all of a sudden you see that this issue is not just 
you know, a traumatic experience is not just a traumatic experience. So he, molest, he, he uh, molested her, didn't have sex with her. But the real trauma was she lost her relationship with her mother. She lost her relationship with her friends. She uh, did all sorts of things to try to deal with this. She said she put on a huge amount of weight to be less attractive. And it turned out, of course, it didn't make any difference. Mm. In other words, her life turned upside down. Now, would have writing helped her? Well, maybe. It, 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 you know, in that case, that's so hard to know. But you could imagine that writing could be helpful in that situation or others in one way, just seeing it on paper. Because it, in a sense, it was almost as though she wasn't acknowledging it was occurring. Mm. And by putting it on paper... Very often people will change their behaviors because they see what the, they look at this from a more kind of objective perspective. Now, you're asking a question, what about if something happened several years ago? Can writing make a difference? Here's the issue. If you don't think about that issue that happened several years ago, you don't lose any sleep about it. You don't think about it. Don't write about that. That's a waste of your time. But if something bad happened to you a few years ago and you're still thinking about it, you're still worrying about it, it still affects your, your sleep you, with the, the, your interpersonal relationships, yeah, you should write about it. And, and, and very often what people will do, I used to do this myself, is uh, I'll say, wow, I should write about that. And then I think, yeah, no, nah, that'd be stupid. It'd just make me think about it more. Well, I was thinking about it all the time anyway. Huh. What do you mean more? Yeah, that's so, true. So writing, that's where writing can be such an interesting tool. And if after, in, in our studies, we've typically had people write three, maybe four times for 15, 20 minutes a time. If at the end of that writing, you don't feel better, then writing's not working. Try something else. Mm-hmm. Or maybe try writing in a different way. There's no truth to this. There's no hidden hidden uh, magic to it, but it works for a sizable number of people. And sometimes it works for me. Sometimes it doesn't work for me. But uh, I do find it to be valuable for myself. And there have now probably been a thousand studies on expressive writing. And the, the, you know, the, the evidence is very clear. It works. It's not, it, it, not going to change lead to giant changes in most people's lives it will in some but it's worth trying and it's free and you can do it on your own i find it so fascinating just how how our 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 thoughts our minds our emotions are so connected to our physical body and we can actually have physical ailments because of whether it's bitterness or unforgiveness or just unprocessed pain that actually manifests in our actual bodies um and then just the the simple act of processing through that and, and whether it's forgiving or expressing something can actually el- eliminate some of those physical ailments. I'm, I totally believe that. I've, I've witnessed it, you know, myself, um, but I just find that continually fascinating. Um, but one thing you also mentioned that it's not you, you, you've you talk about some people in your book that continually t- 
tell the same story the same way. They're talking about their trauma. They're talking about their pain. And and you see them at one dinner party and then you see them six months later at another dinner party. And they're telling the same story the same way, like a broken record. Um, and you say that that doesn't actually help. That's that is ruminating on their problems and causing them further introspection, probably um, a, a higher increase of the word I, a higher increase of anxiety. And and you say in your book that that isn't what you want to be doing. So it seems like it's not just talk about your trauma, talk about your pain, um, which is something that I feel like is is happening a lot right now. But it, it, you're saying it differently. You're saying actually construct a narrative and understand why and what's happening to put pieces together. Like how how are we supposed to actually write about or talk about it, process it? What's the strategy there? So this is where the text analysis work that I did came in, came into play. What we find is that people who tell the same story over and over again in the same way don't benefit. The people who benefit the most are the people who do change their story over time. And one is they change their perspective. They look at things from how the other person might be feeling or what they thought was going on or standing back and trying to look at it from a broader perspective. In other words, what the whole idea of working through is you're, you are, you start with this happened. I felt really bad about it. I feel really hurt. I feel this or that. Um, And then why do I feel this way? In other words, going and trying to figure this out, but just repeating story if you see yourself repeating the story uh stop it's not going to do you any good Mm. you have to you have to bring about a change in the story or a change in your perspective or stand back and realize that uh uh, that continuing to ruminate about it is not going to be helpful Mm. is have you found specific strategies to to not just ruminate it about it like i guess i guess you did kind of answer that um, yeah, I just, I just think, you know, right now with, with everything that's happening across the globe with, you know, civil unrest, um, in America, that's spreading to other places across the globe, you know, Europe, the UK, um, and, and COVID, which is just decimating, um, so many jobs across the globe. Um, I think now more than ever, you know, people need tools like this to be able to, to process their their pain, to process what's going on in a way that's constructive, in a way that's not not just ruminating on it while still being able to get some distance away from their traumatic experience before they dive into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, what's interesting to me about this is my belief is that people are their own best therapists, that people that approaching writing, there's no one true way that you should be your own experimenter to find out what works for you. And you're responsible for yourself. And it's been interesting over the years. People will contact me, say, I want to come and take a workshop. I don't do workshops. Well, where can I go? Because I want to get do it the right way. There is no right way. Mm. Well, what should I do? Figure it out. You know, you're responsible for your 
the problems that you've you've got responsible in the sense that you're the one that's dealing with them sit down and see what works and you know some people will tell me well you know it didn't work then i started writing with my left hand instead of my right hand and that seemed to make a big difference great some people say i hate writing so i ended up uh, talking into a tape recorder great uh, in other words uh, experiment see what works best for you because the whole idea is the research is suggesting the important thing is putting these feelings and these experiences into language, into words, because words force a structure. They force us to see them. First of all, just labeling them is there's been research to suggest that that's beneficial just by itself, but also starting to put it together in a more organized, coherent way is really is quite valuable. So my, my final question for you is that you talk about how you tell this, you know, very vulnerable story in your book about how you you were tracking your own language and the way that you're talking to people around you. And you realized that you were being cold and distant when you talk to your son versus when you talk to the other members of your family, which is something you brought up uh, referenced earlier in our conversation, how you know, surveys aren't necessarily the best uh, indicator of who a person is because they have their own view of how they are acting in the world that might not be accurate. Um, but you tell the story and and instead of trying to, OK, I'm going to focus on the articles and the the forms of speech that I'm using, you, you focused on, OK, I'm going to focus on being more present, being kinder, being um bringing my son in rather than focusing on my language. And that changes your language. So I guess my question is, is there a way, Is does our person affect our language or does our language affect our person? Is it a reciprocal relationship that's going on? And how can, because it seems like in some ways you're saying, well, the language affects the person. Because if I take my traumatic experience and I construct language around my traumatic experience, then all of a sudden that's affected me as an individual because I've, I've come to understanding. Um, but it also seems like the converse is true that as you change, then your language changes. So I guess that last question is what's the interplay there? What are, how do the power of our words, can we change our words and that creates that power or do we have to change ourselves first? So all the, you're asking a fundamental question that psychologists and philosophers have been struggling with for centuries. Um, I can say in our research where we've tried to get people to change their language in order to change themselves, that it doesn't work. That what's really powerful is uh, that if you if you change, your language follows. In other words, language is a really important reflection of who you are, how you're thinking, and so forth. So it's not when you sit down, you start using more I words or more these kind of words that that will make you more or less depressed. The issue is, is changing the way that you're thinking, the way you're paying attention to your world. Um, so with expressive writing, What's happening there is when people write, they are coming to some kind of insight into the issues that are bothering them. Mm. And that insight brings about a change in their behaviors and they start talking differently. 
So the example you were talking about, I would, one of the things that I was also involved with was developing a, a device that was a, a tape recorder that came on for 30 seconds and went off for 12 minutes. And we had people wear these for days at a time. And when we were testing it, I, I wore it and transcribed my, my own snippets over two days. And that's when I was listening to the way I was talking to my son. And it wasn't so much what I was saying, but it really was just the tone and the, the kind of the coldness. And uh, I had no idea I was doing that. And that led me to you know, consciously try to change my behavior in the way that I was connecting to him. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it wasn't now, I'm, I, I didn't say to myself, okay, next time I talk to my son, I'm going to change the pitch of my voice. Instead, I was. I said, I need to be more warm and open to my son. I didn't realize that I wasn't. And that, I think, brought about the change. I wasn't trying to change the words I was using or the pitch I was using. Mm. Well, Dr. Pennebaker, thank you so much. I think even that last story is, I think it really brings it home in that we, you know, there's all there's all this great science out there but really what it comes down to is the, the relationships around us of how can we act in the world? How can we, and you said this earlier, how can we take responsibility, right? How can we take responsibility for ourselves, for our issues, for the problems that, that are in our lives, the pain that's in our lives, and and not then pass that pain on to our children, but really make that, that impact. Um, so- I'm just so so grateful for your time and grateful for your research and grateful for your your books. Um, thank you so much for being with us here today. You're welcome. And I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think this is a, a great program you're doing. That is all for this conversation with Dr. Pennebaker. His books are in the show notes, both the books, The Secret Life of Pronouns and Opening Up Bike Writing It Down. Great books, highly recommend them. Um, I want to take a few moments and just debrief some of the things that Dr. Pennebaker was talking about in these last two episodes. First, I I loved what he had to say about taking your own responsibility, taking initiative, taking responsibility. And so often, and I'm I'm in this boat too, so often we look around and we want people to tell us the secret. We want people to tell us, well, this is how you do it. This is how you get there. But really, it takes it, it the responsibility rests on us. The responsibility is on our shoulders to uncover purpose. It's on our shoulders to ask questions and seek out truth. It's on our shoulders to take action and to own the future. It is our responsibility. And it's when we stand up as individuals and take responsibility. It's when we stand up as individuals and say, I'm going to face my fears. I'm going to face this pain. I'm going to face this hardship and this struggle. That's where we begin to move out of dysfunction and out of unhealthy places and areas in our life and into health. Just by, I I was so fascinated uh, you know, he said it a couple times in, in the first episode, and then again, I brought it up in the second episode, how when we keep secrets 
it affects our physical health and our physical well-being. When we keep secrets, when we when we bury trauma and pain, and I understand that many of us feel like, well, we don't have someone to talk to. We don't have a trusted source, just like in the story that he told at the end, that this young lady, she didn't have someone to turn to or talk to to process that pain, that suffering. So instead, there, there, are, there are ways. One is writing a journal. One is, is speaking it out, processing it so that you're understanding the, the bigger story arc, the bigger construction of what's happening. It's constructing that narrative for your mind to process through, not so that you're ruminating on pain, 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 but to understand what happened to you and to process that out. And I love that he said, you don't have to do that right away. It's actually counterproductive to try to process your trauma and pain immediately. It's okay to get some distance away from it for a bit, to take a step back and just give yourself some space from that event, from that trauma. And right now, on a global scale, so many of us are going through upheavals. People are losing their jobs. People are isolated from relationships and family. Very difficult time for most people across the world. And so it's okay to, to feel like you have to take, take a moment, take a breath and kind of process what's going on and it, you know, without actually writing it down, but then taking those steps to construct and understand what is that narrative? What is going on? What is reality to bring yourself out of, of, that place of feeling like you're a victim in this situation and bringing it into a place where you are a powerful individual with agency. You have power. You have agency as an individual. And this is what we talked about even last week. We talked about agency. We talked about with Dr. Hicks how it the agency falls on us. The responsibility falls on us to take action, to take steps, to make good choices with our life because those choices are going to affect our future. And it's you and I that have the ability to change our future. The other thing that I, I loved was that, was that when you are processing, and I kind of said this already, but when you're processing those upheavals, you're actually searching for truth. You're searching for, well, how did this other person feel? What was going on around? Why did this happen? How did this happen? You're, you're coming to grips and terms with reality. You're coming with, to grips and terms with what happened. A third point that I really enjoyed from this conversation with Dr. Penderbaker was how he opened up with that story about his son, how he realized his, his tone and his attitude was cold towards his son. And oftentimes we don't, we don't see the way other people view us. And I know uh, I myself, I have so many blind spots in my life and I come across oftentimes as cold. I come across with a with an attitude that is very factual um, and that is, is, is painful for me to realize. It's painful for me to see that that's the way that I'm being perceived. But unless someone tells me that, unless my wife tells me that, or unless my friend tells me that, I'm actually not able to take steps to combat that in my life. And it takes a, a certain level of humility to receive 
that hard, painful feedback, that feedback of reality that says this is how you are actually in the world. This is how people are perceiving you in the world and learning how to adapt in ways so that the things that you want to bring to the world can be received. It's not to say that everyone who has a critique of you is correct, um, but it does bring that 360 feedback, that awareness of those blind spots that we have. And conversely, it takes a certain level of humility and courage to approach someone and say, hey, in this area, I see some problems in this area that I think they could really trip you up down the road. And it takes a lot of courage to confront someone on on issues that you feel like they may be wrong on. And I'm grateful for people in my life that are are willing and and able to talk to me and say, hey, when you said this, when you talked about this subject in this certain way, that was really, mm, it kind of came across weird. I kind of thought about it for a couple of weeks when you did that, it hurt my feelings. Um, and so it takes a, a level of courage to confront people who are hurting you. And so I want to encourage you this week from this conversation. One, take responsibility for yourself, for, for your healing. Take responsibility to seek out help, to seek out wisdom, and process the things that you are going through if they're still weighing on you. Process that, whether it's with a person, whether it's that's with your journal, or with an empty room. Process that. Number two, it is realizing that we have a responsibility to one, receive critical feedback, to receive feedback that is painful, to have the humility to walk that out, and two, to have the boldness and the courage to in love confront our friends to say, hey, when you said that thing, when you acted like that, you know, your attitude, your behavior in this, your attitude towards this subject or this person it's wrong. It's off. And that takes a, a level of courage to be able to con confront people that we love. And our relationships, our relationships will be stronger because of that. But what happens today, what's happening across the globe right now is that people are unconfrontable. We, we've put the walls up and says, if you confront me, then we're not friends. If you talk to me, if you disagree with me, then you can't be on my team. You're not on my side. I can't even believe you. We, we have to strip away the ad hominems. We have to strip away these name callings and this us and them. And we have to move into a place in our relationships with people that we know to be able to have hard conversations where we disagree on things, but we can agree to still be friends, where we can talk about them, talk about issues, to talk about topics, to talk about themes within, whether it's within the world or within our family, within relationships, to sort them out, to come to a place where our relationship is stronger, even though we may have different perspectives on things. And that takes a level of maturity and respect to approach people in that way. But that's my charge to you. My charge to you is be open to critique, to be open to people confronting you in your life in areas that you are blind to, and likewise, to with humility and with love, 
to confront our friends, to confront people around us in areas that they may be blind to as well. That takes a level of relationship and trust in that relationship to do that. But that is the culture that we need to see and have to move forward in this day and age. I really believe that. It is a culture that we need to move forward, a culture of humility and a culture of talking to our our brothers and our sisters, talking to our neighbors, talking to our friends in real ways that can be very uncomfortable or can be very challenging. So that's my challenge to you today. Please get my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this book in a time of life where everything was coming to a halt. And in this book, I wrote down principles that I have that I found during that time to help me get through that time, to help me navigate um, my life and how to stay grounded and focused on my goals without just listing and drifting with every little breeze that came. Because we need to be grounded people, grounded in reality, grounded in purpose, grounded in truth, and grounded in the goal that we are chasing, the thing that we are pursuing within our lives. I also, I love to get your questions here on the show. I love to answer them. Please, if you have a question, WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. That's plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. I will respond. I read every single message. That's all for today. I'm Lucas Grobot. You are a change maker. So go out and own the future.